Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel, where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. Gotta love quandary? Head to my website, shallonlester.com, to get connected and also shop my merch and take some fun quizzes. Be sure to rate and review this podcast if you like it and follow me on Instagram at shallonxo and find me on YouTube for four new videos a week. Welcome back to the podcast, Shalligators. Let's relax ourselves and get in the mind frame to receive the message. Get someplace comfy. Roll your shoulders back. Ah, take that bra off. Take it off. I'll give you a few minutes. Unbutton your pants. Be cozy and comfy. And we're going to breathe in through our nose and we're going to breathe out through our mouth. And this week's mantra is do what works for you. Let's try it. In through the nose. Ah, out through the mouth. One more time. Keep that mantra. Do what works for you. In through the nose. And out through the mouth. Why is this our mantra this week? It's really easy as women who are givers and lovers and empaths and great sisters and great friends and great daughters to just give, 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 to spend until we are broke inside, until we are emotionally bankrupt. Because that's what we're taught to do. Be polite, be giving, be there for everyone. Super mom, I can do it all. She, I don't know how she does it. I, I know how women do it, but honey, I don't know why. It is time we get a little bit more selfish. Not in a bad way, not in a bad way that hurts or oppresses anybody else, but in a way that protects our peace. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk to three girls who are having issues that all kind of circle back to them. One of them is dealing with parental expectations about sex and virginity. Ugh. Another one is dealing with a roommate who's using and manipulating her. And another one is trying to figure out how to keep guys interested. And that is the most interesting one to me because I am back in the dating scene and here in Montana. It's like, it's been a long time. And it's so easy to fall into the trap of, well, what works for him? How do I make him like me? Does he like me? Does he like me? Does he like me? Does he like me? I need to stop and we all need to stop and ask ourselves a more crucial question. Do I like him? Do I enjoy this person? 
Do I enjoy this friendship? Do I enjoy this meal that I've ordered? Do I enjoy these circumstances? But that society tells us it should be the last question on our list. No, do they like me? Is everyone okay? Does anybody need anything? Today, we're gonna try to wind that back and we're gonna try to do what works for us and it's gonna feel uncomfortable and it's gonna feel sticky and we're gonna feel like we're letting everyone down and we are going to feel so incredibly exposed and vulnerable. When I think about dating, it's like, but do I like him? Okay, maybe I don't need to answer his text. Maybe I can say like, no, you're not just gonna come over like drunk and whatever and we're gonna hook up and then you're gonna like, that doesn't work for me. It feels like I am out on the edge of a plank on a pirate ship naked, exposed, shark circling. I just feel like I am dangling on the edge of the world. But I need to feel like that in order to live a truth, in order to get back into alignment and be like, if this feels so scary to me to say or analyze or face, hey, am I happy right now? Does this work for me? Then that kind of tells me it isn't working. That kind of tells me, ooh, maybe I'm making a fear-based decision. Maybe you're making fear-based decisions to please your parents, to keep peace in a house where you are not at peace and being used, or to keep a guy around who, <laughs> are you even into him? Or is he just sort of like, boy? He's not like, boy, I like. It's like, you're just simply boy, human that I have cast in the role of boyfriend or guy who's texting me or guy who might like me. Are you focusing on the person or are you focusing on the possibilities? These are questions we need to always ask ourselves and check in because like I said, there's no like wrong answer. You don't have to like someone. You don't have to please your parents. You don't have to be okay in your house with bullshit roommates. You just have to be in alignment and you can't get in alignment until you look at how you actually feel. You can't change what you don't acknowledge. And that's what we're going to do this week. This question is about roommates. And I feel like we've been getting a lot of roommate questions lately. Maybe we haven't. I don't know. It kind of feels like we have, but I think partly because we've been uh, trapped with these people for like months, if not longer on end, thanks to COVID. So we're starting to see some patterns here. And that's the sucky thing about seeing patterns. It's like the writing on the wall. And then you're like, well, now I have to act on these patterns. You know, I can't just, I can't plead ignorance anymore. I see what's going on and I got to do something about it. Okay. So Catherine said this. My friend and I have an apartment together. We've lived together in the past and I thought we had maybe problems then, like I was doing all of the cleaning. And in the past, when I mentioned that to her and our other roommate, they both stopped talking to me. But this time, you know, she told me I was misremembering all of that drama. So recently I came home after working a 28 hour shift and she had locked me out and fallen asleep. I said this to her over text and she twisted my words around and said that I don't have the right to be frustrated. You don't have the right to be frustrated, Catherine. I realize that this manipulative behavior is a trend in our friendship and I don't know what to do. When is it appropriate to let go of a friend? Oh, there is nothing worse than roommate tension and drama. I mean, it's agony. I'm so sorry you're dealing with this. But the writing is kind of on the wall about what kind of person she is. She might be amazing at brunch. She might be super fun on a night out or to rent a, a boat with or something like that. 
she might not be a cohabitation friend. And it sucks because we always assume that we know our friends. Like, well, I know you. I've traveled with you. I've, you could spend days on end with someone. It is not the same as living together. People have different biorhythms. It comes down to sometimes how they were raised. Were they raised messy? Were they raised clean? Were they raised to respect people's space and property? It's just there's so many layers that you don't get to see as someone's friend, even if you're someone's best friend. And when you move in with your best friend, like you're close in so many ways, but you're also distant in terms of honesty. Like when you live with a stranger, you can be like, get that goddamn peanut butter handprint off the refrigerator. Like clean it up. You need to go buy toilet paper. I bought it last time. When it's your friend, it's like, um, so like, should we just like go to Target and I don't know, maybe like buy things for the house. Like you buy the things like I did last time. It's always just this tiptoeing around because you don't want to start a fight because as much as we love our friends, there's always a lot of baggage just beneath the surface. It's sort of like a hornet's nest. And even if we've never had fights, there is still a history of things that you could have thought about at some point. Maybe they're always late. Maybe one time they did something weird with your boyfriend at your birthday party. Maybe you've thought that they've talked shit about you at something. Like, there's just a lot to pork barrel onto that argument about peanut butter or toilet paper. You know what I mean? And that creates a very possibly fraught and irritating situation. But still, that doesn't mean you should be on eggshells in your own house. You said yourself, this is a trend. And look, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. If she's not sorry then, if she's gaslighting you and telling you you're misremembering doing all the cleaning, which I strongly doubt is true, then that's just going to keep happening. I believe that our home is our sanctuary in order for the rest of our life to function. If I'm not well rested, if I don't feel at peace, I mean... I can't do anything. There's nothing to build upon. You know, if like you have a house guest for too long or you're there's it's noisy or your boyfriend's over and his dog's in the bed and you aren't sleeping, like my life comes to a screeching halt. So while I am loath to say move, you gotta move. It's time probably to cut your losses on the living situation and also the friendship as well. Once you see how apathetic and manipulative someone is gonna be. It's really hard to come back from that. Like, and why do you need to? Why do we need to compartmentalize that and be like, well, that's okay, she's fun for brunch. I don't really wanna have brunch with someone manipulative who gaslights me. I don't care how fun you are. I, you know, like, I don't need that in my life. I would rather be alone and at peace than have people in my life who, on some level, I can't trust or who I see now so clearly that they don't respect me. And you deserve a place to live and be at peace and have friends that you can trust. Look, sometimes people change. Sometimes they were always this way and we just didn't have the data to see that. You know, we didn't live with them. We didn't have those biorhythms to observe. But once you do see it, not only are you allowed to let go, you're obligated to. And that's what sucks. That's a hard part because then it feels like it's not a choice. It's like, well, no, I have to not be friends with you. But like, yeah, girl, again, if you wanna protect your peace, and therefore everything else in your life. Because look, we always think that drama and tension and stress is isolated, that we can just put it in a jar, label it, put it on the shelf and not think about it until we have to deal with it. Well, that's not the way that is at all. Our body reacts to stress in ways science truly doesn't even fully understand yet. What causes cancer? What causes infertility? 
We don't really know, but we do know that stress causes obesity, heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure. I mean, so ostensibly it would cause even worse things. And even if it didn't, I'm not saying your roommate's going to give you cancer, but the point is we don't isolate that stress. We feel it in one category. It bleeds over to everything else. You're stressed at home. Things are tense. You're snapping at your other friends. You're a bad employee. You're picking fights with your boyfriend just so you can win and feel like you've got a little bit of personal power, right? You're going out on shopping sprees so that you feel like you have some sort of joy in your life. You're staying out too late because you don't want to be at home. And how is that serving you? What's that doing? Nothing. It's creating that psychological splinter. And it's easier to just yank that splinter out, get out of the lease, get out of the friendship, and heal and move on. We must operate in the here and now. So no matter how great the past was with this girl or how cool you think she could be one day if something aligned and whatever, that's not how it is. We can't operate based on nostalgia or potential. And yeah, it's probably going to be a bit of a hassle and some drama for you to get your own place or find a new living situation. But I talked about this in a video. Think about it as like giving birth. You know, I'm trying to reframe all of my things I don't want to do and stressors as birth. And I look, I, I don't want to give birth. There's a reason I haven't. But labor is scary and it's dramatic and there's no way out of it but through. Once it starts, I mean, there's no call in time. Like this is happening and you just, you're getting through it, right? And you get through it because there's something positive on the other side. The only way out is through. So mentally start preparing and also financially pick up some extra shifts, not 28 hour ones, girl, you need your rest. Cut back on spending, live somewhere, maybe a few miles out of the way. If it's going to be a place of peace for you, I found that it's easier to live with strangers and friends. You know, like I said, there's not that underlying tension about that peanut butter. You can operate more neutrally and therefore create that peacefulness, which is what you deserve. So this next question is a doozy. Maria said, due to being raised Christian, I have so many complexes about having sex. I was told that sex before marriage and even masturbation is a sin. It's a sin, damn it. But for the first time in my life, I'm starting to doubt those beliefs. I did have sex in the past and I still feel guilty about it. And I want to like do it right this time. I don't know. But then again, I'm not sure I want to get married anytime soon. I mean, I'm 19. My dad also feels like he failed as a father because he didn't forbid me to have sex. So, yeah, I don't know what to do. Any advice? Ugh, I'm so sorry you're going through this. But from an outside perspective, like, honestly, and I don't mean this as an insult, I just, it's like I almost want to laugh because the idea that your body, created by God, and the feelings that that God has hardwired you to have are somehow evil and sinful and dirty, even though every single person on planet Earth has these feelings, you know, like, yes, there are some feelings that human beings have that are evil, like murder, but not every single person has that feeling. Not everyone is white knuckling it through the day, trying not to murder prostitutes at a truck stop, right? But most people are thinking about sex. It's pretty dominant. So to think that like God gave you feelings that are inherently evil, like what? How, okay, how, did, forget God, let's talk about science. How did we as humans, the smartest animals on the planet, let ourselves be convinced of this. We see a dog humping someone's leg or another dog, right? We don't say that dog is evil for wanting to have sex with that other dog. Evil. God hates that Cocker Spaniel. God hates you, Noodles. We acknowledge that this behavior is what Noodles is hardwired to do, right? It's not a choice. It's instinct. 
And yet when it comes to us, again, the most advanced, most instinctual animal, suddenly the devil is like working through our vibrator. I personally think that's fucking nuts. I think that's nuts. It's a crazy, nutsy burden to put on yourself. And it's even more nuts that your parents, I mean, even though they love you, are doing that to you. I was just having this conversation with my friend the other day. Like, we're adults and we're old enough to have kids. And a lot of our friends do have kids. And it makes you realize that, like, parents don't know everything. Like, they're just regular people. Like, think about you and your friends and the things that you're probably wrong about. Or you just kind of don't know and you haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, your parents are in the same boat. Like, there's plenty of stuff they don't know either. And we, as, like, their kids, like, we really, it's hard to get our heads around that. It's like, you're my dad. You you know everything. No, dude. At the end of the day, you know what he is? He's not a dad. He's a man. He's a human being. Men don't know everything, obviously. And human beings don't know everything. They're speaking through their own filter. They didn't get to have sex or have fun or have orgasms and they will be goddamned if anyone else does. You know, like when you think about the things you hate in other people, it's the things you're trying to deny in yourself. Not that he hates you or, you know, anything about you, not like that, but it's the things that you don't want other people to have. It's because you don't have it yourself. Look at people in small towns, you know, and they're like, ugh, gay rights. Well, we... We have seen so many examples throughout history that's like it's those crazy Republican senators trying to oppress gay people and send them to conversion therapy that get caught with a gay ladyboy hooker. And you're like, oh, okay, Lindsey Graham, that's what's fueling that. You aren't able to be out and proud, so (laughs) no one else is going to be. I've talked about that with myself and like the body positivity movement. I have a lot of complexes about my body and I don't feel good unless I'm really thin, which I'm not. And so it's like I look at bigger girls and I'm like, why should you get to be confident if I don't get to be? And I have to check myself and stop and be like, what are you talking about, Sean? That's so weird. Like, why does her being confident mean take any food off your plate? It doesn't. Someone should take some food off my plate. I've been eating like a horse. But you get what I'm saying. Like, we're all sort of looking at things through our own filter. And I'm sorry, but your parents' filter is not God's filter. They're wonderful people, I am sure, and they're super, you know, loving. But they don't have a direct line to Jesus. They don't know what God is saying and how God feels. And you know what? God doesn't care what you do with your pussy. He doesn't care. She doesn't care. None of the gods care. Whoever you worship, they don't care. They got bigger fish to fry. And look... Just because your parents lived that life where they were oppressed? I mean, so sad, too bad. They had a choice to live free and they didn't. That was their decision. And of course, there were factors that influenced it, but that was their choice. They chose a pretty, you know, maybe bland, unfulfilling path, but they did choose it purposely, time and time again. But that doesn't mean you have to. What works for someone doesn't have to work for you even if you share DNA and even if they love you and you love them back and you respect them you know it's not like your parents are wrong about everything and they're crazy people of course not but maybe they're just not right about this or maybe it is totally right for them and it's not right for you our lives work like truly is separating from our parents I'm an only child of a single mom and when it comes down to it That's basically like being raised super religious, only instead of worshiping God, you worship your mom. (laughs) A lot to unpack in therapy there. Like her word is law. And if my mom disapproves, like I feel damned and doomed. I feel cast out of heaven. 
but that is no way to live. And that's, like I said, been my life's work to move away from that. It's a life of permission and therefore resentment when that permission and approval is withheld. So I began to wean myself away from that approval in small ways because starting big, I'm quitting my job and I'm having tons of sex and I'm moving here. It's overwhelming. So you got to start small by making small choices based on what I wanted. No one else. Well, gee, do I like vanilla ice cream like my mom always buys? Actually, no. I like pistachio. And even though she says, oh, you'll never want a whole pint of pistachio. Actually, I do. Do I buy Tide like she buys? Or do I try OxyClean? By making those small choices, I learned to trust my intuition. I experimented. It was trial and error. It, like, oh my God, my mom only likes Tide. What the fuck am I thinking here in Target holding this OxyClean? But I faced the fear. I figured out what made me happy and I started small. Then the decision scaled up and up and up until now I was able to say, no, mom, I'm not moving to California. I'm also not moving to Nashville like I thought I was going to and like we discussed and kind of planned. I'm moving to Montana and I know you don't understand it, but I love you and I respect you. And I say this with respect. You don't have to understand it. I have to understand it. And it might be the wrong choice, but it's my choice. And even if I get there and I hate it, all right. I'll fix it. I'll make it work or I'll leave. And that's okay. You don't have to worry. It's all good. The bottom line is a simple but searing question. Whose life are you living? Theirs or yours? You don't need to worry about going to hell. Worry that hell is already here. Hell is inauthentic. Hell is boxed in. Hell is a guilt-ridden life in service of uh, what exactly? What does that get you? Because I truly, truly believe that God or whatever power lies beyond would not give us feelings that neither hurt nor oppress ourselves or other people. And somehow those feelings are evil and wicked. Somehow that's, that's wicked and terrible. Unless, of course, you have a ring on your finger, then fuck like crazy. That doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't think God or Mother Nature is like illogical like that. Earth wouldn't survive if humans and animals were created illogically. So what you do in bed and with boys is literally no one's business. Do what makes you happy and start from the bottom up. This question comes from Annalise and I love it. And I'm living it right now. So let's get into it. She said, I know when dating a guy, especially at the beginning stage, it's important to keep yourself a little bit mysterious and unpredictable so you can keep him chasing you. Ultimately, we control the pace and set boundaries. It sounds great in theory, but there's a fine line between being mysterious and still showing interest. You know what I mean? So can you give me some tangible examples of how to have that balance? For example, don't say yes to every hangout. Don't text him all the time. Usually guys show a lot of interest in me at the beginning, but it slowly dies down. So I want to know how to keep the chase going. Ooh, girl, I am in the trenches with you. It's always funny when people like trash talk me online. They're like, she's not a doctor. I'm like, yeah, I no shit. I know that. I know I'm not a doctor. I'm not like the professor of military history. I am the general in the trenches with you. Like I'm on my ninth tour of duty. I'm with you, my fellow compatriots. So, you know, I'm in Montana now and I'm dating and it's like, oh my God, it's been so long since I've 
dated and like had this chase and had to like monitor how I'm texting someone, you know? And it's, I really understand where Annalise is coming from with this question. So exactly. It seems to be so easy in theory, but when you meet a guy and you have that chemistry, you like him, it's like, bleh, you just all bets are off. Like, I want to text him all day long. I want to see you 24 hours a day. It's hard to find the balance for sure. So this has been my strategy. And like, I would appreciate it if you guys just like randomly comment on my Instagram, like, keep your strategy, all caps, because I need the reminder. Warm in real life, but hard to get in real life. So when a guy sees me IRL, he is rewarded. I am fun. I am engaged. I am chill. I am flirty. This gives him the positive reinforcement to ask me out again and see me in real life again. But if he doesn't see me, I'm not overly effusive via text. I'm shades of warm. I'm short, but sweet. I don't go out of my way to advance the conversation. I try to view texts as things we're doing to coordinate things logistically. Hey, are you free Tuesday? Yeah. You want me to bring over a case of White Claws? Absolutely. Stuff like that. But you're right. Don't reply right away and don't force a conversation to advance. If he's not asking questions or leading things, because remember, they don't know the answer to 99% of the questions they're going to ask you. What's your favorite color? What was your dog's name? Where'd you go to school? Blah, blah, blah. Do you like White Claws even? I don't know how you could, but a lot of people do. So there's plenty of things for him to ask. And if he's not, like, okay, you don't need to close that gap. I don't do that for him. And I don't really allow all day texting, even if I like it, which I do, because I need constant attention. I think it sort of like spends the attention and the chemistry, you know, rather than saving it up and having it for real life. Because you want something to talk about in a date. You don't want to tell someone every nuance of your day and your workday and all this stuff, a fight you have with your friend. Save that for in real life. Not only because it gives you something to talk about. Hello. You want to gauge someone's reaction. I want to tell a guy about like a story, positive or negative, and I want to see how he reacts. If I tell him I had a really hard day, is he just like looking off into the distance and fidgeting? That's a data point I need. Vice versa. If I tell him this funny story, does he laugh at my jokes? I don't just want to see... LOL, 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 LOL on text. Like, do you laugh? Do you think I'm funny? Can we vibe in that way? So if a dude's trying to have like a text-based relationship, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. I'll say something like, oh, I'm so swamped this week. I don't have all that much time to text, but I'm around Wednesday. Smiley face. Let him take it from there. If he wants to see me, he's going to be like, great, let's make a plan. I'm going to cook you a steak, whatever. I don't accept last minute dates or like hangs, 10 p.m. Netflix and chill. No, no, no. But also, the most crucial part is to have a gaggle. Have a lot of guys you're talking to. Like I said, I need a lot of attention. Like, I can go through a total boy drought like I did in quarantine and be okay. But once I get a little, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like a drug addict. I'm like, I need more. Like, I need to talk. I want to talk to a guy. Like, if you like them, you want to talk to them, you want to see them. Ugh, it's bad. So you have to have a bunch. Not, I mean, you don't need to sleep with everybody, but at least be talking. It keeps you from getting too twisted on one guy and therefore like overthinking every text and overthinking every interaction. When you go with the flow, you're, you're usually making like better decisions. You know, you're not overthinking things. So when I get interested in a guy, I break all my own rules. <laughs> like I said, it's like, ah, I need to talk to you all the time. So I keep a lot in rotation to distract me and not just to distract me, but to show me that, okay, this guy that I might like the most, 
He's not the only dude out there. Oh, but he's so funny and he's so cute. Oh, well, that's interesting. Well, so is Eric and, you know, Sean and Matt and Jacob. Like, they're all of those things, too. So let's maybe put so-and-so on the back burner or dial down our assessment of all his qualities because maybe they're not that rare after all. So, yeah, try to find a balance, you know, be warm and engaging in real life, but withhold your time because like we say, and this is true, women define intellectually stimulating in terms of a guy as like he's funny, he's interesting, he's well-read, he's politically smart, whatever. Men define intellectually stimulating as a woman who withholds her time. That's it. She withholds her time. She doesn't play hard to get. She is hard to get. She's not a tease. She's busy. And you have to craft a life that is like that. Because like I, I've said before, I can't play hard to get. I'm like boy crazy. So I have to be hard to get. Oh, I'm sorry. I have hockey that night. No, I'm going to do this with my friends. Oh, I'm out of town. You wanted to see me next week? Bitch, you should have booked me 10 days ago. If you want to do this, you got to really, really do it. And so the benefit is you're going to be more magnetic to guys because you're going to be harder to get. But you're also going to have crafted a life that you really love. You're going to have fullness and richness in your life. You're going to have friends. You're going to have things that are stimulating beyond just boys. Because at the end of the day, every guy wants to be around the girl who's in love with her own life. Well, that's it for this episode of Girl on Top. Thanks for being part of the Chalantourage. If you have a love question you need some help with, find me on my website, shallonlester.com, and be sure to connect with me on Instagram at shallonxo, and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Stay sweet, stay savage. Stay savage.